And Jesus said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And when he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I will perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father's house, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. And refused to go in. And his father came out and begged him. But he answered his father and said, Look you, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this, your son came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is God's Word. The context of this story I've already told you over the past weeks, but let me remind you, I just want to recap what is going on in this story. Jesus was relentlessly and mercilessly criticized throughout His earthly life for uh, associating Himself with sinners, with tax collectors, with prostitutes, with people of questionable moral character. And they were merciless. And the people that criticized Him were the church people. They were the religious, the good people. 
And they were merciless against him. And on many occasions, when you're reading the gospel, they hammer him every which way that you can imagine for associating with these types of people. But the text here in Luke, Luke puts together three parables. And we're looking, just today, we're going to look at the third one to conclude. But remember, the context is three parables. The, the, the religious people were criticizing him, and in order to answer their criticism, what he did was he told them three parables. And Jesus is brilliant. He is absolutely uh, a master at, at telling stories and weaving them in such a way that it draws you in. And then when He's got you there, He, he goes straight into your heart and does that radical thing He does of either transforming you and melting your heart or making you so angry that the only option is to kill Him. You see, no one approaches Jesus neutrally and says, oh, He's a good guy, you know, take Him or leave Him. Nobody does that. If you really, really listen to what He's saying, you either fall deeply in love with Him, you are shattered, you are taken down to your knees, and you want nothing more than to be in His presence, or you want to escape and get away from Him. Have you ever been criticized like that? Have you ever been hammered? Particularly when you've done something good and you can feel the need to defend yourself. Jesus actually does that. But He does it in a redemptive way. He is not self-protecting. But He's opening His heart up and He's drawing you into His embrace with these parables. Three parables. A lost sheep. One out of a hundred one gets lost. A lost coin, one out of ten. And then he tells the story of the two lost sons. And the point of the parables, all three of them together, the big picture is, you can be lost and not know it. You could be valuable and not even know your value. The sheep didn't know its value. The coin didn't know its value. And if you're lost like that, you cannot be found unless someone comes and, and seeks you and looks for you and gets you and draws you back. And so Jesus tells the first two parables and He says, look, the shepherd lost one sheep. He went and found it and He brings it back and He rejoices at the finding of that sheep. And He calls His friends and says, come, rejoice with Me. And the woman, she loses the coin, and if, if, if she hadn't found the coin, it would have sat on that floor of her house until now. An archaeologist would have had to dug it, because it wasn't going to find itself. She finds it, and she calls her friends, she says, rejoice with me. And then Jesus asks them the question. These are the people that are just hammering Him. He says, aren't, aren't people more than sheep? Aren't people more than a coin? And you know, by this time, he's got them. They're saying, yeah, yeah, we, we get that. Of course, everybody would seek something that's valuable. But then in his genius, he draws in close and he says, we're not talking about sheep or coins or, or even people. We're talking about our children. We're talking about that which is nearest and dearest to our heart. 
And then he tells this third parable. And as we've looked at over these past weeks, we looked at the younger son, the prodigal, who's called the prodigal son, who goes off and we looked at his, at his heart, his terms of return. And then we talked a little bit about the father's heart. And then we looked at the younger brother or the elder brother and his heart and his terms and the father's heart. And today we're going to look at the father. Just the father. His heart. His terms. And then finally, borrowing from from Dr. Keller, Tim Keller and Dr. Clowney and many others, God's true son, the true elder brother. So, what does the younger son say? The younger son, the, the one we call the prodigal son, comes to the father and he says, Give me now what's coming to me. He takes his inheritance and he goes to a, a far country, a far land. He wants to escape the control and presence of the father. He wants to go do whatever makes him happy. And so off he goes, and all of you that have been in church, you've probably heard this preached a hundred times, that this story is about how people that are sinners make their way back. How a lost son makes his way back. But what Dr. Clowney and Dr. Keller and others have pointed out is, this is about not just one lost son, it's about two lost sons. Because if you read the parable carefully, you see that the older son says the same thing. The younger son says, give me now. And then he takes off to a far land. The, younger, the older son comes in and says this, you never give. I've slaved for you. I've worked for you. I've been here in your field. I haven't gone to the far country. I've stayed right here. And you've never given me a goat that I can celebrate with my friends. Both sons. The the brilliance of the parable is it's not one lost son, it's two. They're both equally distant from the father. The younger through presumption, open rebellion, sin, I'm going to do whatever makes me happy. But the younger son, or the elder son, excuse me, is also distant from the father. He's equally distant. In fact, the story is unresolved at the end, as I'm sure most of you notice. The story is unresolved, and therefore, the elder son could be said to be further away. And Tim Keller said that when he heard Dr. Clowney preach this sermon 40-some years ago, that it changed his life. It was an epiphany for him. He felt, I, I felt I had discovered the secret heart of Christianity, and I would say that as well, folks. I think when you see what's really going on in this parable, you understand, uh, you get a key to unlock what the whole Bible is about, the whole story of Scripture, and I'll explain it in a moment. You don't Find the Father in the far country, and you don't find Him in the field while you're working hard trying to be acceptable to Him. 
Because what it produced in that elder brother was smug, self-righteous, resentful, bitter, angry, begrudging obedience. And both the younger son and the older son, both, by asking for their inheritance, and notice he divided his inherit- the inheritance between them both. Both sons are saying, we wish you dead now. We want what you have. We don't, know, we don't care about you. We want what you can do for us. And folks, there has never in all of history of Christianity ever been a time when the church has not steeped itself in this damnable lie of loving and serving God to get stuff from Him. Not for Him. Because let the littlest discomfort come into our life. Let the littlest problem come into our life. And who do we immediately blame? Even the atheists. A hurricane comes. And what are the atheists? They don't even believe in God. But who's the first one they accuse? Well, if there was a God, there wouldn't be this. And now, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Stop, 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 stop. You don't believe in God, right? No, I don't. Well, then why are we talking about it? Why are you so consumed with all the bad things in this world? I mean, after all, there's no God. Then it's just dumb luck. And let's be honest. But don't you come and accuse our God when you don't even believe Him? And if you want to start talking about all that, how come? I want to ask you a question, Mr. Atheist, who wants to blame God that you don't believe in for everything. How do you account for all the beauty and the good and the glory among all people? You know, most people are good people. They don't eat their children. You know, there are, there are bad people in this world, but there's seven billion people in the world, and there's only a few pockets here and there of really, really evil people. And you can turn the news on, you can know who they are. But my goodness, what is going on? We want to deny God, but at the same time, we want to blame Him for everything. And what this parable is saying is there's only one way to make yourself accept. There's only one way to get to the Father. It's not by running away and becoming a sinner and you know all that. And it's certainly not by obeying and being scrupulous about your piety that that in some way is going to impress Him and He's going to accept you because of that. The way to the Father is the Father. It's His love for us. It's His open arms, His outstretched arms, the smile on His face, the welcome that He has for all people. The tax collector, the sinner, the prostitute, the broken down, the weary, the the worst of the worst, and even the people in church. He actually loves Pharisees. The whole point of this parable is Jesus is begging, begging the Pharisees. He's begging the church people. He's begging them to open their eyes and say, isn't it right? Isn't it a good thing that we welcome those who have been in the far country in the pigsty eating the slaw? Isn't it good that we welcome them back? And they're hard hearts. Well, no, they've got to clean up first. There's nothing about that in the parable. Nothing. 
the only way to the Father is the Father Himself. His house, His presence. The the son, the younger son, returns to the father's house. The elder brother is out in the field working and he comes to the father's house. And that's where the celebration is. That's where the party is. That's where the rejoicing is. The father's house. So let's look at the father's heart, the father's terms, and the, the true son, the elder brother, which is is what really makes this story what it, what it is. The Father's heart. Look at verse 12. He divided His property. We've talked about this week by week. He divided His property. That's the word bios in Greek. There's two words for Greek, in Greek for life. One is zoe. The other is bios. And He uses bios, which means His very life, His living He divides his living, and he divides it between them both. So to the sons, both sons' almost despicable request to divide his property before he was dead. I mean, who would do that? I mean, even in our modern context, we would kind of say, ooh, that's kind of creepy. Asking for your inheritance, telling your parents, "I, I, I want you to be as if you were dead. I want you to give me your money now. But the Father does it. He divides His life, His bios, between them. And the way it worked in the ancient Near East in this context is, elder brother got two-thirds, and every other child gets one-third that they have to split. Now before you say that's not fair, I know it's not fair in America. But after we get to the end, you'll see why this is pure genius. Two-thirds goes to the elder brother, one-third went because there were two in this family, one-third goes to the younger, and off he goes. But look at what it says in verse 20. A long way. The father's looking. I don't know, you can read a lot into that, but I'm not going to do it. It just says he was looking, and he saw him while he was still far off. He felt compassion. In other words, inside his heart, was moved. And we were singing that old hymn, uh, which one is it, Paulette? 528? Yeah, yeah, 528, right? From the hymnal. I mean, while I'm, I'm singing that old hymn, it's in your Trinity hymnal, while I'm singing that old hymn, and my, I don't know about you, my insides are moving. Not in a good way. I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling something, right? I'm feeling. My heart is being pulled. The Father felt compassion. And he ran. That was something you didn't do in the Middle East. You still don't to this day. These, these patriarchs do not get up and run. You come to them. That, you're lucky if they get up and stand up to shake your hand. In fact, most of the time they don't. You come. You pay homage. You, and I don't care if you're out in the middle of, of, of Afghanistan somewhere. These guys don't get up for you. They're the chief. They're the head. They're the sheikh. They're whatever they are. The patriarch of their family. And that's true in all ethnic cultures around the world, even to this day. But the father picks up his robes and takes off running. I mean, everybody in the village would have gone, what the, what's going on here? He runs, he embraces him, he kisses him. And in verse 28, look at what he does to the elder son. This is the younger The elder son, they're having a party and he refuses to go. I won't go in there. 
And what does the Father do? He comes out and He entreats. In your ESV, I think it says entreats. But the reality is in Greek, it says He came out and He begged Him. Can you imagine humiliating your Father that way and making Him come and beg you? The people hearing this would have been like, what is going on? They would have been so engrossed in this story. Jesus has got them, folks. If He doesn't have you this morning, I can't help you. But He had them. He had them and He's drawing them and drawing them. They're getting closer and closer to that final pow. The gospel trajectory, the Father's heart, let me just be very plain with you this morning. The Father's heart is singular towards His creation and everybody in it. He loves this world. And He loves the people in it. Because they're made in His image. They're like our children. Our children, you know, bear our image, right? That's why we're so concerned about their behavior because it makes us look bad. Be honest. That's the biggest thing. Makes us look bad. And you know something? God never has to worry about His Son and His behavior. The Gospel trajectory has always been from heaven to earth. Always heaven to earth. It's the only religion in all the world that is like that. From heaven to earth. In the very first chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. In Hebrew, walking in the garden in the cool. The word cool is the word ruach. The breath, the wind, the breeze of God. It's a, it's a beautiful word. It's the Spirit. That's how you translate Spirit. They could they could. Hear Him. They could feel Him moving in the garden. His, his coolness. His Spirit. His breathe. His breath. His life. His ruh. Heaven to earth. That's the trajectory of the story. The man and the woman hide themselves. They run away to hide from God's presence. Do you understand what I'm saying, folks? Listen. Somebody was in the garden seeking. Someone's in there looking for them. Now, so don't throw the theology, theology stuff out. Well, God knows everything. I know that. You know that. But that's not what the story says. The story's better than all that. Where are you? Where are you? These words ringing down through history. Where are you? Not shame on you. Where are you? Not shame on you. Not death to you. He told them, the day you eat, you'll surely die. They didn't die. 
And don't read something in and say, oh, they died spiritually. That's not what it says. They lived. Now they began to die. Took them 900 years or whatever it was to die. But they began to die. Death took a hold. Death took its seat. But they didn't die. Instead, they were asked to question, where are you? That's the question of a seeker. The question of somebody looking for you. Because you're valuable. Because you're lost and you don't know it. And if somebody doesn't find you, you'll lay there in the dirt until eternity in the grave. You'll never be found. You'll be in the pigsty all your life unless somebody seeks you. He closed them. The Father's heart, love, grace, mercy. Well, what about wrath? He pays. In the garden, He pays the price for their sin. He takes two of His innocent creatures that had done nothing And God slaughters them. God draws their blood and spills it in the ground. And God skins those animals and He takes those skins and He gets rid of the fig leaves. What were they thinking there? And He clothes them with the skins of His animals. Make no mistake. This is His world and everything in it. He pays the price in that garden. Love. Grace, mercy, that's the Father's heart. What about His terms? Look, verse 22, we've talked about this week by week. I'm just recapping. What about His terms? Me for you. What's mine is yours. The Father says, He's said that since day one. He has told humanity, me for you. The only religion in the world that does that. Mine is yours. Bring quickly the best robe. Cover him with the robe. Ring, shoes, the fattened calf. Kill, let's eat, let's celebrate, rejoice. That was what was lost is found. That was, was dead. It's alive. It's not a return like I've been telling you week by week, folks. It's a resurrection. The story is a resurrection story. Wow. It's not just, oh, he found his way back. Remember, We think the son was repentant. And I told you I'm not so sure. The younger son comes back and we think he's repentant. But it's up in his head. He's saying, I know what I'll do. I'll create some terms of my return. And I don't want to be a slave. He doesn't say doulos. He says, I want to be this other thing. And I'm not going to give you the Greek word because it's hard to pronounce. But I want to be your paid servant. In other words, I'll come back and I'll work off my debt. This is what the younger son is thinking. The older son, hey, I've been slaving for you. He does use doulos. He does use slave. These are the the terms, these two sons. What knuckleheads. But instead, bring quickly the best. He doesn't even let him get his terms out, by the way. If you remember, he doesn't get to say what he wanted to say. And then he tells the older son in verse 31, Son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. These are the terms of the Father. These are the terms of the Father. Listen, 
Forgiveness, let me say this and and burn this into your minds, folks. Forgiveness is never, never, never free. If somebody comes in your house and they drop your priceless, like what happened to one of my seminary professor's wives, she, she, he had one wife, sorry. Uh, <laughs> wife. Yikes. Where's Danielle? Please fix that, Danielle. <laughs> yeah, my, my, Dr. Glodo will kill me if you find... He's, he's not a polygamist. He has one, one wife. She's sweet. She had a China, she had fine china. They had a, some seminary students over to their house, and she brought out her finest china for these students. Just put on, a, put on a really beautiful meal. One of the young men dropped a cup. Priceless china. It was her grandmother's china. There was no replacements, no replacement.com for this china. Broke the cup. The student was crushed. He, he wanted to die. And Vicky told him, look, it's okay. It's okay. No, I've got to pay. I've got to do something. No, no. I forgive you. It's okay. Just don't worry about it. It's my pleasure. Whose cup was it? Vicky's cup. Who suffered the loss of that cup? Vicky did. Who said, I will absorb all of the all of the stuff that that cup represents to me how precious, how valuable, how good it is, I will absorb it for you. Vicky paid. Forgiveness is never free. Somebody pays every single time. And if you go through your life and people hurt you and you have to forgive and you're always forgiving out of your own personal bank account. You're just taking it out of your hide and you figure, well, you know, Jesus wants me to forgive and blah, blah, blah. And I got to love. I'm a Christian. After all, I guess I have to forgive. Then you're going, you're going to wear out very quickly. Your bank account is going to go to zero and then into the red very fast. But, listen, Jesus, the genius says, forgive, how? As you've been forgiven. Wow. I I can go to an inexhaustible bank account. I can go to an inexhaustible China cabinet. Because it's inexhaustible. If I forgive like He forgave me, which is infinite from His own, out of His own largesse, out of His own kindness, it can never end. And I don't have to pay. He paid. How dare we as Christians say, well, I can't forgive. You don't know what they did to me. It doesn't matter. It does matter, but it doesn't matter. You can go straight to God Himself and say, you forgave me like this. And so based on that, I will forgive this person. I may never want to speak to them again. I may never get around them. All that's understandable in some cases. But if you're having to pay yourself, you'll never be able to. He says, forgiveness, I will pay. Salvation. Second thing, salvation is free. Yes? Do you all agree? Salvation is free. Grace is free. That's by very definition, it's free. It's free to us. But it's not free to Him. He doesn't just say, Ali, Ali, oxen free. He nails His Son to a cross. 
Now you're free. Grace costs something. And God paid it willingly. The Son went willingly. They loved every moment, although it was agonizing. They love you that much. But the older brother couldn't understand. Why did he get angry? Look Very quickly, look, why? Ask yourself why. Think, it's in the story. Why was he mad? Because the cost of that fatted calf and that ring and those shoes and that robe didn't belong to the father anymore. Who did they belong to? You remember he divided his bios between the two of them. Whose was it then? Whose property was the father passing out to the son? It was the elder brother's property. And here's, his, here's what he had to say about that. This, listen to the scorn, the hatred. It's amazing. This son of yours has wasted all of that on prostitutes and you take... Here's what he's saying. You took some of my money, you took my money, and you spent it on him? He wasted it. And now you're wasting mine? You're taking what's mine? This is why the Pharisees were so incensed. This is why they were so angry. This is why they were criticizing Jesus for, for, for welcoming them. The word welcoming in Greek is prosekomai. He was facing, he was at the door waiting for those sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. He was welcoming them. He wasn't just sitting at the table, ah, come on in and you know, grab, a, grab a seat. No, he was out there, come on in. And the Pharisees hated that. You're spending our inheritance. How dare you welcome them? Why, folks? Why? Ask yourself this. We have to finish, but ask yourself, why is this important? Why is the heart of Christianity here? And why am I taking your good time this morning, 30 minutes, to tell you why it's so important? Here's why. Because if you define your relationship, see, lostness is the grand narrative of Scripture. And if you Define your relationship with God by the far country and give me now and I'm going to make God whatever I want Him to be. All God is interested in is in to make me happy. And you go off and you just sin like crazy and do whatever you want. Oh, He'll, he'll always welcome me back. He'll always love me. You don't understand the Father. And if you define your Christianity, yourself as in the field, I'm going to work for you, I'm going to slave for you, I'm going to do everything for you. It's going to create in you, if you're one of the people that we have to push out of the way on Sunday morning to get into the church because you're here so bright and early, all excited, oh, I'm going to go serve Jesus. And if I do, He'll bless me. He'll do good for me you'll be sorely, sorely disappointed. In fact, what it will produce is, and what we see in church, we see this all the time. In fact, we, I told you last week, we kind of vacillate, all of us do, between the younger and the elder brother. We have times where we sin and we really want the Father to welcome us, and we're all about that. And then there's also times when we see somebody come in through the back door and they've got tattoos and they've got a bone in their nose and they're you know, looking real. And if any of you are like that this morning, I apologize. 
I don't see any bones in anybody's nose, but if, if you did have one in your nose, know that you're welcome here at Christ the King. Because we all have them, we just don't let you see them. Smug, self-righteous, anger, resentful. You find angry Christians, I've met them, folks, I've been one. And they're self-righteous. How come they do that? How come they do that? How come they do this? Why are they like that? On and on and on. If that why is this parable so important? Because if that's your experience, if you're the younger or the elder brother, you are never going to experience really what God created you. If you're struggling, Christian, this morning to experience what God really, really made you for, if you're saying, you know, I don't even know if I can believe, I don't know, does He really love me? Does He really, you know, I understand all that. But once you hear what I'm going to say, if it doesn't change the way you look at your Christianity, then there's nothing else. You will never experience God the way you are meant to until you are in the Father's arms, in His house, not this building, in His presence, in His arms, not the classroom, not the field working hard. What does God want to teach me? What does He want me to do? No, just sitting in His lap like Psalm 131, the weaned child who is sated Sated, resting in his father, mother's arms, satisfied, fed, full, looking up into that face of love. The secret heart of Christianity, folks, is the son, the true elder brother. The true elder brother. The first two parables, somebody went seeking. But Jesus intentionally leaves a seeker out of this parable. Nobody goes looking. Well, somebody does, but you have to really think about it. Nobody goes looking for the younger brother. And nobody goes looking for the elder brother. Unless you think about it for just a minute. Because in the ancient Near East, it went like this. Elder brother got two-thirds. Everybody else got one-third. And elder brother, like in many cultures today, elder brother was supposed to step in and take the elder brother supposed to step in and take the father's place and represent the father, his benevolence, his goodness to the family. The elder brother Supposed to make sure all the sons, the younger sons, younger daughters have husbands and wives and that their, their estate is taken care of. They have somewhere to go, somewhere to be. They got jobs they're taking care of. One of them needed something. The elder brother was supposed to step in, take care of the father, take, care, take the father's place, take care of the children, administer the estate in the father's stead as a representative of the father. And everybody in that culture understood it. Everybody knew what Jesus was talking about. But in this parable, there's no elder brother. There's an angry elder brother. There's a smug, self-righteous elder brother. There's an elder brother that's mad. And will not go find his younger brother. Will not take care of the family. Will not treat the father with respect. Will not obey the father. But instead he says, look you, 
I've slaved for you. You never give me anything. How many of you remember Tian, Tian and Yisha Zheng? Tian and Yisha Zheng. Y'all remember them, some of you. Chinese couple came from mainland China to Christ the King. I'll finish with this. Uh, Tian was an engineer, and they, they left uh, mainland China. They went to Singapore following their daughter who was in college. And uh, when he gets to Singapore, he was, I want to find out a little bit about Christianity. So he gets a Bible, a Roman Catholic Bible. And he starts reading, and he starts getting interested in what the Bible has to say because they were Buddhists and then, you know, all kinds of different religions and their background, and they didn't know anything about Christianity. So the daughter, they only had one child, a daughter, she gets school in New Mexico State. This is 10 years ago almost. She goes to school in New Mexico State, so guess where Tian and Yisha go? They come here to the United States following their daughter. And so they go and they go to Las Cruces. And Tian, the husband, he says, I'm going to go look around at some churches. And he goes and he's, I've never been in a Christian church. I'm going to go check it out. Long story short, he goes to churches. She starts taking classes at UTEP. Guess where they show up? El Paso. And he walks in one Sunday. They barely speak English. And they come in one Sunday and he's talking to me. He gets me out of the service. And in his broken English, he says, I want to know, about, I want to know more about John Calvin. Okay, <laughs> happy to talk to you about John Calvin, but really? And he, oh, it's just, I'm looking on the internet, and he says, I heard about this thing called the Reformation and this John Calvin. And I'm very interested, and I want to know all about election and predestination. I have questions about that, and I go, oh my God, please. <laughs> so they start coming to church week by week. Don't know anything about Christianity, nothing. And I'm desperate. I want to reach out to this couple. They, they, they understand Bits and pieces of the sermon. He, 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 barely. But they want to be there. And they're, they're entranced with what they're hearing. Especially him. He was just... In his mind, you could just see the gears going. So I, I get him a Chinese Bible. I get him on Third Mill with the Chinese resources. I get him in the... You know, I call Redeemer in New York. I call Tim Keller's church. And I say, do you have anything for, for, for Chinese people? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Danielle, you've got to edit this from the tape as well because they sent me, please take this out. They sent me the prodigal God, the book, and the video of Tim Keller's presentation, the prodigal God in Chinese. Only available in China. Not available in the United States. And they made me swear. I had to prick my finger and write it in blood that I wouldn't let anybody know that we had a copy. And I do. Please. Take, you're listening, right? Okay. Jip, jip, jip. Edit. So I invite Tian and Yisha. I said, come on. I've got a video I want you to see. They come, and I, this is at the old church on Mesa. Some of you remember. And it was in the middle of the day. And I put the TV, and I put the video, and I set them down in there. I got them some tea and a little popcorn. and You know, watch Tim Keller. Chinese. And every once in a while I'd pop in and they were just glued. Glued to the video. And I'd sit with them and I'd watch. They never looked at me. They're, they're like absorbing like, like, like sponges. 
And when it was over, I walked in. They were coming out. And Tian, the, the, the dad, the father, it's about my age, he's weeping uncontrollably. His wife, tears rolling down her face, but he was out of control. And he, he fell into my arms and he said, Jesus is my elder brother. I understand Calvin now. I know. He came. He sought me. He found me. I was dead and I was alive. Now he said it in broken English. But I'll tell you what, we wept. We stood there in the foyer of the church and just wept. And a week later I baptized them and served them Holy Communion. Why? Because he knew he had an elder brother. He understood that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His Son His bios, His life for you, for me. When we were lost, when we were blind, when we were dead, He came. And if that becomes, if that comes down and settles into the center of the center of your heart, your Christianity will be completely different. You will no longer be in the field working, working, slaving. No, you'll be there, but you'll be there because you delight in the Father. And the far country will lose its sparkle. Who wants to go there when I can have Him? What? What could you exchange for that? The Father's house. Will you trust Him? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank You uh, for... What can we say? Thank You for giving us Your life, Your Son, Your the thing that was most precious to You. And the Son saying, yes, I'll go. I'll go for them because I love them too. And the Holy Spirit coming down here and living with us every day of our lives, never holding His nose, but constantly being with us even in our sin. How is that possible? And yet You are and do. Father, please open our hearts to that reality so that we can truly experience, maybe for the first time in our lives, the love of the Father. The Father's embrace, His kiss, His arms, His robes of righteousness. Our true elder brother, Jesus. The true Son. Thank You for that, Father. Amen.